Before we begin tonight's episode, I would like to give you a warning. This story has themes of sexual assault and torture that could be disturbing to many listeners. Listen at your own discretion. Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. How are you? How's your week been? If you've been having a rough one full of life's little terrors, let me take you away for a while while we drop in and observe someone else's nightmare. This week's story is by Nina G. Jones. Now, Nina is usually the author of Romantic Suspense and Dark Erotica, but she's decided to dip her toe into the world of horror. If you're interested in Nina's other works, you can find them all on Amazon, and I'll leave a link in the show notes. For now, she takes us on the first date from hell in The Smile. I had been staring at his smile all night. It was the kind of smile that was, in the most literal sense of the word, dazzling. Especially at night, when the votive candle at our table glimmered beneath us, his smirk twinkled. There were points in our conversation where I had tuned out, admiring his grin, framed by an impossibly angular jawline. I guess that's what got me here in the first place. I was pumping gas and he pulled in at the pump just in front of me. He fumbled around a bit and I hadn't even realized how intently I had been watching him until he turned to face me and asked if my pump was having issues too. It wasn't. But he flashed that Colgate smile and I smiled back and some small talk led to us going on a date. He wasn't my type necessarily. He was too clean-cut, dressed straight out of a Club Monaco ad, and he drove a BMW. I usually gravitated toward the artsy types with dazzled facial hair and a nest of waves haphazardly adorning their crowns. I had assumed I wasn't his, Reed, I'm not a tall, skinny blonde. But he seemed so eager to meet up, and I think the flattery alone made me reflect that attraction right back onto him like a mirror. Should we get out of here? he asked. I glanced at my phone. It was getting late and I had work the next day, so I agreed. As pleasant as the date was, I didn't see anything long-term happening between us. His world, banking, sailing, and weekend trips to Steamboat was too different for mine. I'd consider going out with him again as I couldn't deny something fun could come out of it. Nothing serious, just... Someone I could indulge for purely physical reasons. Tonight, though, I would keep it simple. Just a kiss at my door. He seemed like the type of guy women didn't say no to, and I thought this would be part of the fun of our courtship. I want to show you something, he said. His face opening up to that hypnotic smile. As the nighttime summer wind blew against his hair from the half-open windows of the car, In that moment, I could see him as someone who could be messy on a Sunday morning and eat breakfast in bed instead of waking up at 8am to go for a run. But as he approached the stoplight and his locks settled perfectly back onto his crown, I knew that would never be the case. Oh, what's that? I asked. It's a surprise. He squinted with a hint of amusement. I shifted in my seat uncomfortably. I hate surprises, I groaned. I promise, you'll love this, but it only works as a surprise. I sighed, deliberating the detour and counting the hours I would have left to sleep and get to work on time. I really do hate surprises, especially from someone I hardly know. He sensed my discomfort. You know what? Never mind. I don't mean to pressure you. It's just... I had a lot of fun, and... 
He looked down like a shy boy half his age. I just don't want it to end. You know what? It's fine. Show me, I blurted. His vulnerability speaking to the same part of my ego that got me to the state in the first place. I guess I'm a sucker for reverse psychology. You sure? He asked, his lips curving into an excited smile. 100%, I nodded, suddenly feeling excited about an impromptu adventure. Sleep be damned. Within minutes, we were pulling off of an exit on the freeway. The roads were dark, flanked by shadowy outlines of a mature forest. The only source of light were the high beams on his vehicle. I wondered if this was wise, letting this man I just met take me out to the middle of nowhere. But I knew his name and number, and I had told my roommate where I was going. He knew that. He wouldn't. He couldn't. I leaned back onto my seat and watched the moon above, unblemished by light pollution, and let the summer breeze caress me. Isn't it beautiful out here? He asked. Is this what you wanted to show me? No. We're almost there. He glanced over to me and gave me that look. The one he gave me at the gas station that made me feel desired. In a way I had rarely come to feel from the flaky types I had dated before. You're so beautiful. He used his fingertips to push my hair off my shoulder, as if it were interrupting his view of me. His words were direct in a way that made me feel uncomfortable. Thank you. You're not so bad yourself, I chuckled back. It was a juvenile thing to say to someone who had such a command on sharing his desires. I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable. His eyes were back on the road. They had to be with the lack of his ability. No, no, I'm flattered. I, I'm just not used to the attention, I suppose. He seemed distracted from my response as he pressed on the brakes and turned down a gravel road. One I wouldn't have even spotted had he not turned onto it. I tensed in my seat. I hadn't seen another car for at least ten minutes. I pretended to search my purse for lip gloss and saw there was no reception on my phone. Where are we going? I asked trying my hardest to keep my voice from quivering. We're almost there, he said calmly. It's really late. We should turn back. I didn't realize we'd be driving for this long. We're only two minutes away. You should at least see the place before we turn. My stomach twirled with anxiety. His disregard for my wishes was like a warning flare. I shouldn't be out here with someone I just met at a gas station. I shouldn't have let him take me somewhere without telling me where it was first. Now I was alone, and no one knew where I was. He could have done anything he wanted to me. No one would have even known where to look. Just as I was about to insist, he pulled up to a clearing. The black road ahead of us opened up to a scatter of lights. It was an overlook, a stunning one at that, where the city below blinked and flickered like Christmas lights. See, he said, isn't it beautiful? I let out a sigh of relief. It is. We can turn back around if you're in a rush. The edge wore off once I understood the romantic gesture he was attempting. Besides, I didn't want to seem rude. No, no, it's fine. We can stay a few minutes longer. Sounds like a plan, he said. His smile disarmed me. He told me about how he found it as a teenager, when he would take his first car and go out for long drives to clear his head. This lookout wasn't as popular as some others, so it was all his, except when he occasionally brought out a girl, of course. I watched his face but I gravitated mostly towards his full lips as he spoke. I thought I would kiss them tonight, but I kept my silent promise that I would not do so until he dropped me off. 
Out here, he might expect more. Sometimes as he spoke, I would gaze up at the sky. Peppered with so many more stars than I was used to seeing in the city. That's when he put his hand on my thigh. I didn't stop him. Then he reached over and kissed me. I complied, assuring myself I had intended to kiss him all along anyway. He was a gentleman. He'd understood when I told him I wasn't ready for more. Yes, it feels nice. His smile tasted as good as it looked. I pulled away, hiding a giddy grin. I had a really, really good time tonight, but we should really continue this another time. I need to get home. He kept his hand placed just under my skirt on my thigh. His coy smirk, cloaked in moonlit shadows, for the first time, felt like a mask. The darkness cast on the crevices of his face looked like something sinister, trying to break through the light. We should head back. The last word barely escaped from the back of my tightening throat. He didn't answer. I watched him search his thoughts for a few seconds. Watched him make a decision and commit. His hand roved up my thigh forcefully as he lunged forward. He was so much bigger than me. And just under a fraction of his weight, I could hardly move. I knew my only chance was to get away from him before he could land his full weight on top of me. I reached behind me and pulled the handle of the door, toppling out of the car onto the dirt underneath. He fell forward onto the passenger seat, but in a second regained his balance and began crawling over the seat towards me. I shuffled halfway up to my feet and turned, ready to take off like a sprinter at the start of a race. Just as I took a few steps, a force knocked me to the ground so hard, my feet left the earth. I gasped and wheezed for air as he turned me over onto my back and yanked me off the ground effortlessly. His smile was gone. Instead, all I saw were his eyes, singularly focused on one task, without mercy or indecision. I tried to fight, but he had knocked the wind out of me so severely I couldn't breathe, and without oxygen, energy quickly grew scarce. He tossed me into the back seat, pushing me all the way in. I kicked and punched, but he snatched my wrists and pressed his weight on top of me to neutralize my defense. Then I saw it. A flood of light filling the car. It had to be another vehicle pulling up. Perhaps this overlook wasn't as private as he remembered. I used what was left of my energy to scream as loud as I could. I shrieked with such force that I choked. The dirt I inhaled from when he knocked me on the ground had robbed my throat of moisture. Shut the fuck up, he hissed, covering my mouth and nose. He ducked. I screamed into his hand, feeling faint as each second passed without a breath of air. The car grew dark again and so did my chance at hope. The vehicle must have left. He turned around to close the door behind him. An open door might catch attention, but the average passerby wouldn't bother a closed car out here. This was obviously a spot for lovers. He pulled his hand off my mouth and I loudly wheezed. Filling my lungs was the only priority at that moment as he reached for his belt and began to undo his pants. Please let me go. I won't tell, I begged frantically. He laughed. Not the sweet, unassuming laugh I had heard from him before, but a sardonic, cruel snicker. I know you'll never tell. Such a simple statement. And yet, I knew exactly the message he was giving me. 
you won't be able to tell anyone anything after I'm through with you. But my roommate knows who you are. I won't tell if you let me go, I promise. He paused, as if taking in his work before pressing his body on top of mine and whispering into my ear, My name isn't Brett Haversmith. This isn't the same car I was using when we met, is it? Because it's a rental. And remember when I picked you up and said I heard about a new place across town? I thought we should try instead. It's a little hole in the wall delicious pad thai and no cameras. No one will know who you were with or where you went. They won't even know where to start looking. It was as if he declared checkmate on a game of chess. I didn't even know we were playing. In that instant, I knew it wasn't just about protecting my body from violation. I was going to die here if I did nothing. My only option was to go out fighting. So I did. Or at least I tried. Bucking and writhing underneath him like an unbroken mare. But he was tall and heavy and I was a whopping five foot three. He didn't care about the screaming now that we were alone again. In fact, the grin spread across his face informed me that he liked it very much. He pinned my wrist painfully against the door behind me as he thrust it against me. I wailed so forcefully I was covered in my own spit and snot. I couldn't look at his smug face for a second longer without dinner threatening to purge from my stomach. I didn't want to feel him any longer. I didn't want to feel the unfiltered terror in every cell of my body. I couldn't transport my body, but I could transport my mind. So I looked out towards the window to the starry night to enjoy the beauty of nature in my possible last moments on earth. If I focused hard enough on the grandeur of what was out there, maybe my struggle wouldn't seem so significant, and maybe that could be some sort of comfort. Just as I was coming to terms with my impending demise, just before melting into the stars, they were outshined. A floodlight filled the car again, washing out my view of the sparkling ink-black sky. The light, like a beacon, guided me back to the present. I began to scream again, hoping this time someone would notice. My rapist didn't notice the light. No, he was too intently focused on his prey. But I saw the silhouette walk towards the rear passenger side door, where my attacker's back was facing. Three loud taps. The sounds of freedom. The sounds of survival. Shit. He grunted under his breath. Don't you say a word, he hissed. Reaching underneath the driver's side seat for something. I couldn't tell what it was. I nodded my head eagerly. Anything to get him to open the door. He turned on that smile. The one that lured me out here. Before turning to meet the flashlight shining into the car. He lowered the window, but I couldn't make out the face of the officer behind the blinding stream of light. Just the shape of a tanned uniform. An artificial chuckle echoed inside the car. Oh, wow. This is embarrassing, sir. My girlfriend and I were just looking for some privacy. We'll be on our way. Step out of the car, the officer said. He shined the light directly on my eyes. You too. I wanted to scream, but I knew my attacker had a weapon, and chaos would only benefit him 
until there was no space between us. I pulled up my underwear and held the torn front flap of my dress. It was hard to see anything through tear-soaked eyes and the blinking auras that remained in my vision from the flashlight. Stand over there, the man directed Brett. He flashed at me. You over there. One of my shoes was missing, and I could only afford a pointless second to search for it before he insisted again that I move. Listen, why don't we just save the trouble and... The man whipped bread over the head with a large object, and he collapsed to the floor. I screamed instinctively. This didn't make sense. Police don't just attack like that. I stepped away from the scene as the man stood over a dazed Brett and collected the item Brett dropped. The beam of the flashlight grazed the object so I could see it was a gun. I glanced around in the dark, trying to make sense of it all. As my eyes adjusted, I got a slightly better view of the man. He was wearing a khaki uniform, I thought, but his face still shrouded in shadows. Like Brett, he was about six feet tall with an athletic build. If he decided to turn his violence against me, I would be just as hopeless as I was in the backseat of that car. I spun around to look for a police car, flashing lights, anything to indicate that this man was an officer of the law. But I knew what my gut had been telling me, and I had been ignoring in hope of some relief from the unrelenting terror of the night. This man was not law enforcement. The man stood up over Brett, who was moaning and writhing, and trained his gaze on me. No longer willing to ignore my instincts, and, with the decisiveness in which both men had committed vicious acts of violence that night, I ran. I ran into that terrifying black forest as fast as I could. I didn't look back. There wasn't any hesitation as thorns scraped against my flesh. Branches ripped away at my dress, and twigs embedded into my one exposed foot. At some point, I lost my other shoe, and that foot also was torn apart by nature. I will not die tonight. I couldn't hear the mysterious man chasing me. My heavy breathing and pulse pounding against my skull made that an impossibility. So I would run until my body quit. When my legs finally gave, I collapsed beneath a large tree, making myself small as I gasped for air as discreetly as I could. I listened intently for the sound of footsteps in the dark, hoping for silence. I prayed, something I hadn't done since I was a little girl. My obstacles felt insurmountable. Aside from a possible psycho on the loose, I was hopelessly lost in an unfamiliar forest. The temperature was dropping. It was going to be a long time before I was safe and secure. After a while, I rested my head back against the tree. Sudden exhaustion taking over as my adrenaline wore off. My sweat-drenched body grew cold as the moisture evaporated from my skin. I wanted nothing more than to disappear into the peaceful cloud of sleep, but I knew I could not afford to. My mind and body wrestled as the mosquitoes ate away at me. After a couple of hours, I had become comfortable with the silence. My fear had shifted from Brett and the mysterious man who attacked him to the trek to safety I would have to confront in the morning. But sometime after, I couldn't tell you how long, as time had lost all meaning, blunted by fear and darkness, I heard twigs snapping. A fresh surge of horror coursed through my body. I pressed myself against the tree, hoping I could shrink into the shape of a rock or stump. A click then a beam of light tracking along the forest around me. He was here. He was close. And I couldn't decide if running and drawing attention to myself or sitting 
like a hopeless lamb, was a worse choice. I buried my face in between my knees to stifle the involuntary sobs bursting haphazardly from my chest and pressed my eyes tightly shut. If I couldn't see him, then he wouldn't see me. I had naively hoped. Then, through my closed eyelids, I saw the light. I felt it on my skin. The footsteps moved hastily in my direction. I had no choice but to run. My legs moved like rubber as I placed my weight on them for the first time in hours. Every cell in my body was drained from exertion and unrelenting fear. Somehow, I managed to move forward, each step a little faster than the last. But the steps behind me came closer, and I heard the thud before I felt it. Bright flashes of light filled my eyes. My legs went out from underneath me, and that was the last thing I remember before waking up in front of Brett. Unlike Brett, I wasn't bound to a chair. I was seated on the floor, leaned up against a wall across from him. We were in some kind of abandoned cabin. I presume in the same woods where this whole nightmare started. My head throbbed in one spot and my throat burned from dehydration so that I could hardly pry my mouth open. My vision was foggy, but I fought to scan my surroundings hoping I could find a way out. My eyes quickly came upon the figure of a man. Much clearer now in this cabin, with one portable floodlight illuminating it. He stood in his khaki button-down shirt and pants with black belt and shoes. Not quite a trooper's uniform, but close enough for someone to confuse him as one on a dark night with a flashlight shining in their face. The black leather gloves and balaclava, however, made it clear to me that he never intended to help. From that gloved hand extended a large adjustable wrench the kind that is used on industrial machinery or car repair, dripping with blood. It must have been what he used to hit Brett. I scurried along the floor as far from him as I could, mumbling tear-filled, nonsensical appeals for mercy. But he walked towards Brett, not me, and yanked his droopy head up by his blood-caked hair. The masked face turned towards me. Did he hurt you? He asked. I stared, wide-eyed, with my mouth agape, paralyzed with terror. I asked if he hurt you. His voice was unnaturally raspy, as if he was trying to disguise it. I nodded my head at first, almost imperceptibly, but it grew in eagerness. He did hurt me. She's a lying whore, Brett screamed, blood and spit spewing from each venomous accusation. She came out here with me to the middle of fucking nowhere. She wanted it. His lies were ugly and filled me with rage. But I had to balance a delicate act between the two dangerous men in front of me. I dared not speak out of turn and risk gaining unwanted attention. Instead, I let the masked man continue to take the lead. He pushed Brett's head down and walked over to me. Each drop of his foot against the old wood floor made my heart drop. I shivered as he drew closer and knelt down beside me. My lips trembled so violently I could barely utter a word. No. He, he... He raped me. You... You saved me. I couldn't make eye contact. So I stared straight ahead. But his gaze burned my skin. He was close enough to smell me. And it felt like he was doing just that. 
sniffing out the truth. After a few agonizing moments, he grabbed my arm and yanked me to my feet. What did you like about him? He asked. Nothing, I shouted. Afraid if I conceded I favored anything about Brett, I would not be believed. The man released me and paced around Brett, who despite being badly beaten, still had the power of rage in his eyes. I knew if he could loosen his bindings, he'd kill both of us with his bare hands. Was it this? The masked man used the tip of his wrench to elevate a lock of Brett's sandy hair. I shook my head. The masked man encircled his captive slowly, making sure to draw out every moment of uncertainty. This. He guided the wrench between Brett's legs. Brett cursed and rocked the chair back and forth, desperately attempting to free himself. No. The man shook his head, a light chuckle peppering his statement. I don't think you like that. At least, anymore. He paused as if waiting for a laugh track. Slowly, he walked towards me, hunching to meet my diminutive size. Tell me. I didn't know what was up or down, wrong or right. Nothing made sense in that cabin, and all I could do was rely on my instinct. I would do whatever I had to do to increase my chances of survival. I had no choice but to answer. His... His smile, I whimpered. The man paused for a moment, using his internal lie detector to test the veracity of my statement. It seemed I had passed when he turned towards Brett, the wrench in his hand breezing just past me. He marched up to his prisoner and squeezed his cheeks so he could inspect his teeth like a prize horse. Brett's teeth were pink from his bloody gums, but anyone could see that winning smile, the one that had probably gotten him into and out of trouble his whole life. Brett sucked in air like an angry bull and tried to wriggle his face away. The man shoved his face and walked back over to me. He raised the wrench and I shrunk in fear. Open your hand. I stood there, trembling, hardly believing my ears. He gave me time to respond just like one would awaiting a dog to comprehend a new command. It gave me the time I needed for my body to catch up with my brain. And hesitantly, I opened my palm to him. He placed the object in my tremulous grip. The tool was solid, heavy enough to bash a skull in with some muscle behind it. Why was he giving me this weapon? Go on. I don't... I don't understand. I'm sorry. I pleaded behind sobs. Take his smile. Tears streamed down my face. I don't... I don't understand. The man yanked the wrench from my hand and charged Brett, who screamed as the man pried his mouth open. Despite all the horror Brett put me through, I hollered for mercy as he gripped one of his bottom teeth and ripped it out. Blood oozed from Brett's mouth and he screamed like I had never heard anyone scream before. He wouldn't stop. He just screamed until he ran out of air and then took a breath and started again. The man put the wrench in my hand once more. If he hurt you, show me. Do it. He commanded over Brett's wails. I, I can't, I begged. Please, 
He dragged me by my forearm closer to Brett, who had lost all bravado. His eyes were soft and scared, like a little boy's. Please, he sobbed. My heart hurt at the sound of his cries. Please, I'm so sorry, he cried. I'm so, so sorry. I turned to the man standing over us. I can't do this. It's not me. I can't hurt him. Please don't make me. Did he stop when you begged? The man asked. Did he care when you cried? I looked down at the wrench. It wobbled in my hand. Even if I wanted to, I don't think I could physically accomplish what the man was asking. Did he? The man repeated forcefully. I looked down and shook my head. No. Show me that you want to live. Show me that he hurt you. Take away what he used against you. And if I don't? Then you both die. At that moment it clicked. I wasn't going to die tonight. I had made that vow to myself. I would do whatever it took to make it out of there. If I did what he asked, there was a chance the man would let me go. Sure, I could turn this weapon on him in an attempt to save my rapist and myself, but chances were the masked man would overpower me and we'd both be dead. Or I could show no mercy to the person who laughed as he forced himself inside me. Prove to the stranger that Brett was not my friend, but my attacker, and I might walk out of here alive. The choice seemed clear as the starry sky at that moment. I faced Brett and my body grew rigid. He had been begging the entire time I debated with the man, but I had drowned out his cries. His screams grew surprisingly easy to tune out once I had made up my mind. No, no, Anna, don't. Hearing him utter my name filled me with indignation. I hated the sound of it from his mouth. He spoke it like we were great friends. Like he knew me. Like I was betraying him. I thought about how he used that smile to hurt me. How he placed it on his face like a mask when he thought an officer had caught him raping me. He thought he could fool anyone. Even at this very moment. Sitting bound in a chair, helpless. He was still trying to manipulate. Brett shook his head, his eyes spherical pools of terror designed to elicit sympathy. I strode up to him and without a word, the man pried his jaw open for me. He must have seen the resolve in my eyes because he dropped the mask once and for all. He rocked in his chair, and out of the man's grip, his bulging bloodshot eyes focused on me with so much hatred, my spine tingled. You fucking bitch! You filthy cunt! I'll kill you! I'll kill you! The first tooth I pulled was hard. That man made it look so easy. But Brett's mouth was slippery with saliva and blood it tough to get a grip with the adjustable wrench. I had to tighten it and then rock it back and forth over and over, finally feeling the fibers giving away. 
but still, I couldn't get it loose. I had to use the handle end to hit the tooth a few times and knock it out of its socket. Still, the tooth wasn't completely free, dangling from the gum by fibrous nerves and other soft tissues. At that point, I had an easier time using my fingers to pull it out completely. It took more force than I was prepared to use, and the more force I put behind it, the less human I felt. With each wiggle, yank, or blow to his tooth, my empathy shrunk a little more. It was frightening how routine it became after the fifth or so tooth. The man laughed as Brett choked on his blood and saliva. I could tell the laugh was designed just as much to torture Brett as it was a reflection of the man's enjoyment. Occasionally, he let go of Brett's mouth so he could spit or swallow. This wasn't an act of kindness. He just wanted to prolong the suffering. And if Brett choked, it would all be over too soon. Once Brett stabilized, the man would hold his jaw open again so I could focus on the work of removing each and every tooth from that beautiful smile of his. Halfway through, I became utterly exhausted and stopped. Brett had stopped screaming and instead cried in a low hum. Almost all of his front teeth were gone, his gums a collection of dark, raw holes. He couldn't deceive anyone any longer. I had disarmed him of his most powerful weapon. I'm ashamed to admit I felt a twinge of satisfaction about that. Who he was inside finally matched with his exterior. The man seemed to sense my exhaustion, offering me a bottle of water. I drank it in seconds, thanking him bizarrely enough. I dropped the bottle on the puddles of blood and teeth and turned around and got right back to it. The faster I could empty Brett's mouth, the quicker I could get out of here, I hoped. So I knocked and jimmied and pried each remaining tooth. Brett had passed out by the time I dropped the last tooth on the floor. I stood back and observed my handiwork while wiping my hands on the nicest dress I owned. One I chose specifically to impress him on our date. Brett's mouth was sunken, but his face was swollen in other parts. I didn't know what would become of him, but I knew there wasn't much left of the suave guy who kidnapped me on our first date. I looked down at the dusty floor, Pools of blood and tooth fragments scattered in front of me. Yanking teeth is messy work. That's when my concentration waned and fear crept up again. This man was obviously evil. There was no guarantee I would be released. All I had from him was a hint that he would let me go if I did what he said. Without a word... He looked into Brett's mouth one last time to confirm my work was done. Impressive, he murmured. I wanted so badly to run, but I used every fiber of my patience I had to defer to him. This night was a first for me, and one I will never forget, he said wiping the wrench on Brett's blood-soaked white Oxford shirt. As he began to tidy up, and without even looking in my direction, he continued, You'll go out the front door and make a right. 
three-quarters of a mile in that direction is a trail. If you follow it in either direction, you will find help eventually. He drove you out to the lookout. He attacked you in the car. But after, you put up a fight. He chased you into the woods, caught you, and held you out there all night. Eventually, you got a hold of his knife and you stabbed him several times before escaping. I don't exist. Understand? You don't want anyone to know what you did here. That's our secret. They won't find me. But I can always find you. I nodded my head, trying to remember the story I was fed. He was right. I would never tell anyone the horrific thing I did. Even if people feel it's justified, it wasn't me. That's not who I am. That was months ago. It was months ago when I ran barefoot for almost three miles before collapsing in front of some hikers. When I told the police how my date kidnapped me and we fought, which explained why his blood was all over me. I never mentioned the man. A man who relished in pain, but who saved me for a price. Today I got a call from the detective working the case. Detective Mayhew took my case seriously from the beginning and kept me regularly updated along the way. He never doubted me or judged me for going out in the woods with someone I hardly knew. He never made me feel like any of it was my fault. I could tell he wanted justice as much as I did, but he couldn't find my attacker. I felt guilty putting him on such a fruitless case, but I didn't have a choice. They think after I stabbed Brett, he wandered deep into the woods to die, possibly falling off a cliff or into a nearby river. There was too much blood on me for them to think he managed to escape or start over somewhere. Besides, all his possessions were left behind. His credit cards were never used, but that was stuff I already knew. I knew the man in the mask would make it so he was never found. Today, Detective Mayhew specifically called to tell me they got a hit on Brett's DNA. His real name was Don Schnelling. Several women had been raped and murdered by this man. He had always given a fake name and drove a stolen car or rented one under a false name. He always had a knack for last-minute changes so that he and his victims never followed through with their original plans for the night, making it difficult to retrace their steps. It always seemed like his victims left with him on a date and vanished into thin air. That is, until... Some of their bodies were found. And yet, even that isn't shocking or all that remarkable to me. I knew when he dropped the facade of the preppy, handsome heartthrob that there was a practice monster underneath it all. I ended up doing a little research myself. For the last decade, over a 70-mile stretch of road... There's been someone killing couples partaking in private time in the woods. Usually in popular lover's lane type spots. In many of the cases, they believe the perpetrator acted as a police officer to get the couples out of the vehicle. The events are scattered enough in timing and location for some law enforcement to doubt if it is the work of one killer but I think it is. I think I met him that terrifying night. I don't know whether to call it terrible or great luck that both of those men 
cross paths while hunting that night. If Brett was kind to me and we sat there a few minutes longer, the masked man would have killed us both. If the masked man hadn't shown up, Brett would have killed me after violating me. Of course, the detective and I never discussed that. So imagine my surprise when, after the thoughtful detective had informed me they were closing my case, and I thanked him for his hard work. He had a few extra words for me before parting. Anna, take care of yourself. Don't be a sucker for a pretty smile like his again. This case was a first for me, and one I will never forget. Thanks for listening. Sorry if my voice is rough this week, folks. I got a super fun case of laryngitis right in time to record. I recently opened up a P.O. box to send out stickers and letters to my $5 and $10 Patreon supporters. If you'd like to send anything, you can write to me, Shelby Scott, at P.O. Box 950246, Mission Hills, California, 91395-0246. Now, for Patreon shoutouts, a huge thank you to Rhonda Tomal, David Sanaki, Lindsay Minks, Amber Thompson, Steve Kalb, Wellington, and Michelle Johnson Scovish. Remember to rate and review the show on iTunes. Check out our Instagram and Twitter at Scare You to Sleep, and join our Facebook group. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. <laughs>